Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Trashy Divorces. We've flip-flopped our schedule for this week because of the move. Hey friends, I'm Alicia. I'm Stacy. Thanks for rolling with us this week as we are still moving all over the place and working out the sound in our new TDHQ2. So this Wednesday drop is being brought to you by our awesome Patreon community. Indeed. We're pulling out a few of our favorite things. My story this week, one of my very favorite things, old Hollywood true crime. So I am bringing you the spiderweb connections of Thelma Todd, who had a trashy divorce from Pat DeSico, previous TD alum. And Thelma Todd dies mysteriously Mm -hmm. in 1935. Oh, Oh, such mystery. And Stacey, one of the things that you do on Patreon that is your favorite thing is get into presidential scandals, especially of the sexy kind. Um, So this week, we have the uh, just outrageously trashy story of President Warren G. Harding, dead low these hundred years or so, but boy, boy, did he. uh, And he wrote so many letters about About all of the affairs about his penis. Mm -hmm. That's what we're bringing you today. New trashy divorces on Sunday with Real episodes mm-hmm. from a soundproof studio. We're waiting for a few different things to come in. Mm-hmm. We do have some thanks to give. A lot of them. Yeah. First, whoever sent us Frida Kahlo's diary, we want to thank you. But there was no note. There was no name. Yeah. Who do we give the thanks to? Let us know because it's a beautiful book. Thank you, Mystery Sender. We have some Patreon shout outs to give out in our Magic Mirror this week with all of our new Patreon folks. Thank you for your support and being awesome. Stacy. do you want to start us out with our magic sparkly mirror this week? I will. We have so many people to welcome to Patreon this week. Thank you so much to Diamond P, Stephanie B, Pam D, Rachel S, Tracy S, Erica K, Callie, Jennifer F, Shannon T, Kiki W S, Paula B, Tessa B, Amy A, Valerie F, Eileen G, Clorinda, Heidi J, Gina Marie P, Corrine V, Anja, Chris, Amanda, and Janice M. Thank you so much. We have two new super supporters as well this week. We do. Sarah, definitely, definitely not, not a, a witch. witch, and Anna L. Thank you all, Patreon community, for your current support, for your existing support. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and listening. It's a pretty good episode. We'll be back in business with regular Trashy Divorces this Sunday. Treat the mic not the room. That's what we're trying to figure out, y'all. We're trying to figure it out. In the meantime, what should we do? Oh, we should definitely go, go, go. Alicia, you have a story about some relative of Abraham Lincoln's wife? No, not at all. Not at all. We're doing a spider webs. Are we sure? Yes, spider webs. Spider butts. Glory Vanderbilt. Uh really is the trash candy gift that keeps on giving. We're going to circle back today to Gloria Vanderbilt's first husband, Pat DeSico. Oh, the mob guy. 
Yes. Who wasn't patient. Failed talent agent and mobster. Well, and he, he wasn't patient enough to wait for her to come into her trust fund. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about him and his ex-wife, Thelma Todd. Okay, Lincoln. Hot toddy. <laughs> Hot toddy. Okay. And her mysterious death in December of 1935. So Gloria Vanderbilt doesn't marry Pat DeSico till 1941. So this is a few, we're talking about a few years before they get married. So Gloria Vanderbilt's like 11 at the time all of this happens. Everyone in Hollywood is telling Gloria Vanderbilt, like, you're in danger, girl. You're in big danger. Like, I, oh God, if the past of your first, if you're, if Pat DeSico says anything like, oh, God, you are in danger. Pat DeSico, when he's married to Gloria, calls her Fatsy Roo while he's leaving her with black eyes. Oh, my if God. If that gives you an idea of what kind of asshole he is. Fatsy Roo. Yeah. Like, I realize that that still does happen today, but I feel like it happens less I mean, he's today. a violent abuser. Right. He, it's, it's terrible. But this story is not about Gloria. This is just a spider web from Gloria. This story is about Thelma Todd. Someone else he abused. Hot Toddy. Also... Known as the Ice Cream Blonde. Those are her two nicknames, Hot Toddy and the Ice Cream Blonde. Those seem opposite somehow. Thelma Todd is born July 29th, 1906. She's a Leo girl, because of course she is. She's born in Lawrence, Massachusetts. In high school, she's doing local films that she kind of gets through her job at Woolworths. She'll train to be an elementary school teacher. She's doing some modeling on the side. Like by the time she's 19 or so. She's like, yeah, I should enter this beauty contest, which she will win and leave her in the running for Miss Massachusetts, 1925. Prestigious. Which gets her, hold on, you're really going to dig this part. I'm going to do this. Discovered, quote unquote, by Paramount. Which, okay, this isn't like 1925. So Paramount has had, Hollywood has had huge scandals. You've had Thomas Entz. You've had Fatty Arbuckle. Like, Shit has gone down and the studios are really trying to clean up their image that movies aren't the cesspool that you think they are. So Paramount does this thing in the 20s. <laughs> so when you're discovered by Paramount, they're like, you can come to our school in Astoria, Queens and pay us a tuition of $500 and... It is really just a vehicle for Paramount to make a lot of dough and bring in all these like squeaky clean kids to beef up their image. Whatevs. In this whole program, Discovery, oh geez, they do make a movie with the class called Fascinating Youth, which is where Thelma Todd is going to get noticed. And hey, she's like one person out of this whole stupid school that gets a contract. Okay. Okay. But she does get a year contract. Congratulations, you're going to be in silent movies. And boy, is she. She stars with the Marx Brothers, Laurel and Hardy, Buster Keaton, Jimmy Durante. Like, she's in... I can't even remember the number of films. She's going to consecutively work. She is the ice cream blonde. She is the blonde comedic actress of the 1920s. Okay. And early 30s. So this is still... It's silent... Yeah, not, it's it's not talkies it's, yet, but... Yeah, we're going to be moving okay. to that direction. It's just such a... Like, so many of these stories I've never heard of, I think, because 
it's difficult to present silent films to modern audiences in a way that makes them make sense, right? Like, we just have certain expectations about what filmed media looks like because we're, we see it constantly. But I mean, they had there, it was, there was a piano player there. Like it was a playhouse where you were projecting all your emotions read on screen. What did I listen to the other day? That was so interesting. Somebody was talking about, maybe it was Malcolm Gladwell talking about watching friends and you don't need the audio turned on when you're watching the show friends to know exactly what's going on. Hmm. That's how silent actory their faces are. Mm -hmm. They're just reactions to things, speak an entire story that if you never had words, you'd totally get the subplot of what was happening. Right. You could approximate the, yeah. Anyway, okay, we're off track. (laughs) Congratulations, Thelma Todd. You have a movie contract. You are now a big star. Hooray. A little bit of crap here though. When she signs that contract, Thelma Todd weighs 122 pounds. There's a clause in her contract that says if she gains more than three pounds or loses more than six, that contract can be canceled. Holy shit. You can shit. be fired. Uh, see? Olsen twins. So Thelma is going to begin an addiction to diet pills that is going to stick pretty much to her death. Right. Oh, Thelma's signature drink is three fingers of rye. And I think diet pills back then were basically meth. So kind of. Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> three fingers of rye. And meth. And meth. Uh, <laughs> the cool thing about Thelma Todd, and this is sort of, she's such a badass. She's actually the actress in Hollywood who will not sleep with producers or directors. Hmm. She doesn't play the casting couch game. And not only does everyone know that she's not going to play that game with you, she's going to talk about not playing it with you. So if you try something on her, everybody else in the world knows that you've tried something on her. Like, it is, she is brassy, Thelma Todd. It's one thing to turn them down, but it's another thing to talk about how you turned them down. So her career's never affected. No, Leo girl, nobody fucks with Thelma Todd. Until. I mean, they do. So, I mean, okay. But not that she's a prude or a stranger to love affairs. She has plenty of those. She doesn't play by anybody else's rules but her own. And she is playing independent women on screen and kind of busting up what that blonde stereotype should be. She does take on a long-term lover before her marriage to Pat DeSico. We're talking about him in a second. He, Pat DeSico introduces her to Lucky Luciano, which is awesome. And Thelma for a minute ends up getting sober. Like Lucky, she dates violent, like it is a, it's terrible. She dates violent men, but there is a past with Lucky Luciano she will marry Pat DeSico, failed talent agent and mobster. Like, that's on his business card. Before this marriage in 1930, like, it is. It's on, like, hi, I'm Pat DeSico. Here's my failed bit. talent manager and mobster. Failed talent agent and mobster. Yeah, it's terrible. Okay. Before she marries Pat, though, <laughs> defrocked rabbi and <laughs> disbarred entertainment yeah, lawyer. It's terrible. Okay. She's going to marry Pat. Thelma Todd is going to marry Pat DeSico in 1932. But before this, Thelma Todd is going to meet a director named Roland West in 1930 while she is sailing on a yacht around Catalina Island. Roland, February 20th, 
Same birthday as Gloria Vanderbilt, believe it or not. Okay. 1885, not the same year. Sure. This guy definitely uh, doesn't belong in the cusp of sensitivity. Roland is kind of a jerk. He's a film director. He starts, is one of the people who is starting film noir back in silent movies, if you can imagine. In He has a wife whose name is Jewel Carmen, and Jewel Carmen is a sex worker turned actress. And the marriage isn't going great as Roland is sleeping with Thelma Todd from like 1930 on. Seems not great. Shit, hold on. There's another total weird spider web here. I don't have it written down. This yacht that Roland West has is called the Joyita. He sells it in 36 after Thelma Todd's death. And it gets sold around the world and ends up being involved in this like south pacific sea mystery where the captain and all 25 people on board just disappeared and they find the boat just floating in the ocean with full tanks it's a ghost ship wow the joyita i didn't even have time to get that in this story but yeah whoa wow ghost yacht the joyita and they never they've never the boat was fine like, the engine died, but they still had plenty of gas. They, like, nothing was happening. Yeah, it wasn't like they were attacked by pirates and there was I, damage everywhere. And I, Apparently, like, no blood. Just everybody disappeared. Wow. wow. I know. <laughs> Spider webs. Back to the story. Roland West is married to Jewel Carmen. And for a married man, he's kind of possessive and super jealous and pretty controlling. He is trying to convince Thelma Todd because he's directing her in a film, to change her name to Allison Lord or some kind of nonsense and commands the whole crew, only call her Allison. Whatever. Thelma is into it. I mean, it. no offense to Allison's out there. No, like, Allison's fine. It's a good song by Elvis Costello. Anyway, Thelma Todd's into it, I guess, just because she's really into Roland. But they're carrying on this volatile relationship that's not any secret. The last film that Roland makes is 1931. Thelma Todd's going to continue working to the day she dies, but not Roland. He kind of quits movies by like the early 30s with this great idea. You ready for the great idea? Hey, Thelma. Hey, wife, Jewel Carmen. We all should go into business together. What's the business? Hold on. So Roland and Jewel have a hillside off the Pacific Coast Highway, which is known as the Roosevelt Highway at that time. They built a home. And Thelma Todd in the early 1930s is like, oh, there's this whole farmer's market that's on Roosevelt Highway that's on the PCH that used to be stalls for a farmer's market, but it's got three levels and I could live there. So I'm going to go ahead and buy this property that is 500 yards and just at the base of the bottom of the hill. So I can just walk up to see my lover anytime I want to. And we'll go into business. Sure. It's a great idea. And we'll call it Thelma Todd's Roadside Cafe. And it's an operating cafe. She lives upstairs. And she lives upstairs. Hold on. We're going to, we're, we're going to get there. Okay. I'm so, I'm so ahead. It's so good. Okay. So the plan is a little sidelined with the marriage to Pat to Seiko from 1932 to 1934, but Thelma Todd gets the fuck out of there. Like, you're a violent mobster. There are multiple domestic violence incidents with Pat. There are hospital trips. It's bad. But Pat to Seiko never goes away. 
he's always still kind of lurking. Because he's a mobster, and he's BFFs with Lucky Luciano, who is also an ex of hers. Like, the whole scene is shady. Okay. By 1934, Roland and Thelma Todd have carried on their affair for the better part of four years. Roland and Jewel living up at... The Joya, it's, everything starts with joy. I don't yeah, know why. Yeah, Joyita, okay. Their home is above, and Thelma Todd's cafe is just right below that house, and it's three levels, and there are apartments <laughs> for Thelma and Roland with partition doors in between them. So with a functioning restaurant, which I actually found the drink menu from this place. I think you mentioned this to me. I guess they sell clams and oysters, but the drink menu was literally a framed glass thing that was maybe 25 inches by 40 inches. It was in tiny, tiny print. It was ginormous. So I it was, think it's a bar. It was, yeah, it was the kind of place you could pop in for f- like fresh, like freshly shucked seafood mm. And booze. Three fingers awry. And a lot of booze. They had every kind of booze you could ever imagine. So Thelma, in addition to buying the property at the Roadside Cafe, is also going to buy her mother a home on the hill, actually above Roland and Jules' home. It's all kinds of nestled up there. There's a lot going on at 17575 Roosevelt Highway. Okay, so things are going fine with this arrangement. Until like the summer fall of 1935. Jewel and Thelma Todd are fighting. Not about Roland. But uh, Jewel is part owner of the place. Right? Clams, oysters, drink menu. And she's turning a blind eye to the affair. Because she's out having... Jewel is not sitting at home. Yeah. Jewel is no sit-at-home wallflower. And Roland can't say a thing about it. Share your partitioned room at the restaurant, honey. I'm fine with that. So, like, maybe she's jealous, but from what I can see, she's having a great time and not too worried. The fight that Jewel Carmen and Thelma Todd are having is about money management at the cafe. Okay? Jealousy? I don't think so. This is more, right, money. Other problems in 1935. In the summer, Thelma Todd starts getting letters, these blackmail letters. She gets, like, eight of them. They demand $10,000, and they're all signed by the Ace of Hearts. It's very weird. This is very Hollywood. So Hollywood. It's so weird. Very dumb. Okay. There is a suspect arrested. His name is Ace. (laughs) Which is great. So there's a suspect arrested, and the letters stop, and that's fine. And then there's a dinner at the Brown Derby. That Thelma Todd has in the summertime with her old boyfriend, Lucky Luciano, who has this amazing idea for Thelma Todd's Roadside Cafe. I know you've been a little hesitant on the putt-putt, Thelma. However, this is my idea. I would like to take over the third floor of Thelma Todd's Roadside Cafe and make that an illegal gambling den where I can move all of my goons in. And Thelma Todd is like... Uh, over my dead body and lucky luciano says we'll see about that i can make that happen lucky's not great at not getting um what he wants when he wants to get it and this worries thelma todd so much she feels threatened she's gonna make an appointment with the da although she will be dead before that appointment takes place dun dun 
So what happens, right? Dun, mm-hmm. dun, dun. Suicide, accident, murder. No one knows for sure. There are a lot of suspects. There are a lot of things in this mysterious death. Let's go through it. December 14th, Saturday night. Unseasonally a little bit cold for just, I mean, California. It's always right, beautiful right, weather. But, but it's chilly. There's a little chill in the air. Saturday night, there's a party at the Trocadero in honor of Thelma Todd. There's brandy. There's champagne. It's a big thing happening. And when Thelma Todd is leaving, she and her mom are taking a cab, a limo, to the party together. Roland West is like, hey, babe, don't be late. And Thelma Todd's like, sure, babe, don't wait up. And Roland's like, be home by 2 a.m. Okay, so at 1.50 a.m., this would be early Sunday morning, Sid Grauman of Grauman's Chinese Chinese Theater Mm -hmm. will call up Roland West on the phone and say, Thelma's going to be late. Sometime in between 3 to 3.45, it's pretty loose, the cab driver drops Thelma off at the roadside cafe, just right there on the road. It was a quiet ride home. He says, like, normally she's super talkative, but she's unusually quiet. She says she got an upsetting message on the night of the party, but she's just signed a new contract. Her business is super successful. She has a trunk of Christmas gifts in her roadster. She's ready for Christmas. She's rumored to be involved with another man who's from San Francisco. She's going to be rolling out putt-putt in Q2 next year. That's it. Life's okay. I turned down the mobster. No gambling den. It's putt-putt for us all the way. Everything's pretty great, except for the looming threat of Lucky Luciano and the mob. Also, at, oh Lord, the party at the Trocadero, Pat DeSico's there, okay? Pat DeSico's date is a closeted lesbian. He brings her to the party like... It's a little odd, maybe trying to make Thelma jealous, but apparently at the Trocadero that night, Thelma Todd, Pat DeSico have a heated interaction. And later, when Pat DeSico is summoned to the grand jury, his testimony is like, I didn't even know that she was dead. Okay, this is how much Thelma Todd hates his ass. In her will, she left him $1, if that gives you an indication of her love for him. Okay, so all day Saturday, no one sees Thelma. Thelma sees friends at the party at the Trocadero's, like, come to the cafe tomorrow, lunch is on me. They come. Thelma's not there. This is Sunday, then. Yeah, this is Sunday. Nobody sees Thelma all Sunday. Thelma Todd doesn't show up to the set on Monday morning for this film she's filming. At the same time that the maid has gone to get... The Lincoln Town Car from Jewel Carmen's Garage. The maid brings it down the hill for Thelma. I told you Lincoln was in this story. I'm sorry. (laughs) Damn it. You're totally right. Okay. All right. So she's not showing up the set. So it's Thelma Todd's Lincoln. Thelma Todd's Lincoln. Continental. Yes. So all of this is sort of happening around the same time, like 930 Monday morning. So the maid goes to get the car to bring it down the hill, like she always does on Monday, where she, the maid, finds Thelma Todd, fully dressed in her silver and mauve evening gown from Saturday night, all of her jewels still on, her hair perfectly coiffed, her mink coat right next to her, Thelma Todd, dead in the car, 
in the closed garage. Yikes. Now, at the time, there's a national campaign about don't close the garage door if your car is running. But alas, when the coroner makes their report, they say accidental monoxide poisoning is what kills her from being in the closed garage, and that's that. What a terrible accident. So the thinking is that she came home from the party, was dropped off by the cab, and then went into the garage, started the town car, and... She's dropped off, not anywhere near that car. So let's talk about how she makes it 500 yards up the hill and the other condition and indication on her body that all is not right. This is where the mystery happens. Thelma Todd knows a lot about cars. She's into cars. She likes to drive them. She likes to race them. She would not put herself in a closed garage. Right. Also at four in the morning or whenever it was. Her blood alcohol content is like almost 0.2. It's like 0.16. It's really high. It's very high. Thelma in her handbag does have a compact and a pack of cigarettes and a key to the door for the Roadhouse Cafe. As like also the key to get into Roland's place up above. This is where it's so mysterious. Her hair is perfectly done. Her shoes are on. They're a little scuffed, but like not as scuffed as they would be if you walked uphill in the dark drunk with a blood alcohol level of 0.2. Like, your makeup's fine. Your jewels are on. Nothing's out of place. Your hair is fine. Here's what's fucked up. She's found slumped over with a broken nose, a bruised face, and two cracked ribs. So I can see you breaking your nose. If you have fallen asleep, your head falls to the steering wheel. But two cracked ribs? That doesn't happen if you're falling asleep in a warm garage. Oh, gosh. Okay, in addition to this, all the neighbors that are there that Monday morning have different testimony than what the coroner's report says. The coroner's report says that she was found on the driver's side of the car. All the witnesses are like, no, she was on the passenger side. We saw it. There was blood there. She was murdered. There's also a handprint on the side of the car that's never identified. That's not hers. It's all, You see where I'm going? It's all very yeah. suspicious. Yeah, yeah, Okay, here's what's weirder. The coroner says her time of death was 5 a.m. Sunday morning. Okay. Sure. 5 a.m. Sunday morning. They say the bruising on her was decomposition because it took a day for her to be found. But let's talk about what's weird. In her stomach are peas and carrots. Peas and carrots were not served at the Trocadero that night. So somehow between getting dropped off at her home at 3.30 in the morning, she has peas and carrots in her stomach, which, okay, sure, if you're dead at 5 a.m., but here's what's stranger. She has a friend named Martha Ford, and Martha Ford and her husband live in Laurel Canyon, and they're expecting Thelma Todd on Sunday for this huge party, and Thelma Todd calls Martha Ford at 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And says, I'm on my way. I have a surprise guest coming with me. And Martha Ford's like, I've known her for years. I talked to her on the phone Sunday afternoon. She could not have died Sunday morning. I am positive beyond any question. This is who I talked to. It's a very active ghost. You're not kidding. Oh, but here's what's weirder. No phone calls are made 
from the property that day. So there are no phone records that Thelma called anyone from the roadside cafe out of her home that day. Martha Ford is not the only person with witness testimony of seeing Thelma after her supposed time of death. So the way I look at it, there are 30 hours unaccounted for in this timeline with all the clues and facts of the case, like just making no sense at all. Okay, let's talk about what could happen. I don't think it's a suicide. Things are going to, like, it may be accidental, sure. But when they talk to Thelma Todd's mom, and she's, like, getting out of this car, and she hasn't been told anything, and as soon as she's told, she's like, Thelma was murdered. Okay, so maybe it is an accident. Is it possible that the coroner was not taking into account the unusual chill? You said it was unusually cold in LA. She has a mink coat. Yeah, but once you're dead, I mean, yeah, the mink coat will help a little, but, like... I mean, I don't know, because I'm, you know, I watched a lot of crime shows, and you see them, like, shove the thermometer into the person's liver to see how long they, and then you calculate, like, it's, what's the ambient temp? Right. What's, right, like, did the coroner just not factor in the yeah, colder I don't know. temps? Because that would add many, many hours. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. So maybe it is an accident. Uh, maybe it is exactly... No, I'm just that. saying that, I mean, that would be an error. Like, mm-hmm. And it would make more sense because it really does appear she died much later sometime than... early Monday morning. Yeah. Or at least su- Sunday night. Yeah. Like she didn't walk up that hill 500 yards drunk at night looking how she presents in the morning. So maybe somebody drove her up the hill. There is a huge... I mean, with a broken nose and two cracked ribs and bruises, maybe she's placed in the car, right? Maybe someone takes her up to the location where she's found after killing her, after beating her up at least, feeding her, keeping her drunk for a few consecutive hours. One of the suspicions is that it's Lucky Luciano because he leaves town the day her body's discovered and never comes back to Hollywood. So the suspicion is he's waiting for her. She gets dropped off drunk. He picks her up. Hey, babe, you hungry? Oh, I'll drive you up the hill. I'll I'll get you up to Roland's. It's fine. And then proceeds to kind of keep her on ice, right, for 30 hours. Let me feed you. Let me continue to keep you drinking and find out, have you talked to the DA yet? When are you? Uh, oh, you haven't? Great. Let me silence you before you can. That's one supposition. Roland, the lover, is naturally looked at with suspicion as well. And he's like, this is so out of place. She's never walked to our house at night. She's never slept in the car. I've locked her out plenty of times down below, and she's just broken windows to get in. If she knocked, I didn't hear it. But if I did hear it, I would have woken up and let her in. Like, none of this makes any sense. So poor Roland, like, he gets looked at, like, maybe you got mad, you locked her out, and and Roland's like, nah, it wasn't me. Roland will divorce Carmen, Jewel Carmen, in 1938. He'll remarry another time or two, but really is racked by guilt. There is someone that he tells later in life, like, on his deathbed as he's had a stroke, that it was me. I did it. It's one of those, like that other lady who, like uh, George Reeves, where everybody claimed that they were the one to do it. Sure, sure. 
I mean, I can imagine, though, if uh, Luciano had her and she was uncomfortable about Mm -hmm. him, the opportunity to call her friend with whom she had plans that night and, like, in front of him, like, be really clear that, like, yeah, I'm going to be there and I've got a special guest and, like, the next few hours of my life are secure and now 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 you have to take me there lucky like yeah. you could see that now you can see it you can also see okay here's another weird spider web pat jessico pat jessico and thelma todd do have an interaction that night and right he's a henchman for lucky luciano the thing that gives pat jessico kind of a second look in this is that in 1937 the guy who like founds the three stooges his name is Ted Healy. He's a really famous actor. He is found essentially like in a coma, having been beaten to death. It's blamed on alcoholism. But the rumor speculation around Hollywood is that, oh God, Walter Beery, Pat DeSico, and Pat DeSico's cousin, are you ready for this? Albert Broccoli, Cubby, Cubby Broccoli of James Bond fame. Pat DeSico and Albert Cubby Broccoli are cousins, and that's how he gets his stupid name Cubby, because Pat DeSico can't say cousin. Dude. So it's rumored that the three of these jerks beat up Ted Healy and left him for dead in the Trocadero parking lot. It's terrible. Oh, so what happens that's even worse, Ted Healy has a wife and a kid, and then there's this big benefit at the Trocadero for $10 a plate, which would be like 200 bucks or something crazy these days. And she never gets any of the money. Like, he's left for dead with this ruined reputation. And Albert Broccoli's like, oh, we got, like, we had words, but nothing happened. Like, but it's pretty much, Pachisico is a murderer. Nobody ever knows. Like, right. we'll never solve the mysterious death of the ice cream blonde, Thelma Todd. That is so. I feel like I had more notes to that story, but apparently it didn't copy. So a lot of that was me just trying to remember. Terrific. That's that's fine. We can um, update with, I don't know, if there are like specific things. That- yeah. What do y'all think happened to Thelma Todd? Who Seriously? do you think it was? Like, this is a super scandal. Oh, oh. And the Ted Healy murder? Guess he was first on scene to cover it the fuck up. Eddie Mannix. Mm-hmm. MGM fixer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spider butts. It all, I just said it. We're calling this episode Thelma Todd's Lincoln, right? (laughs) (laughs) That is the tale of Hot Toddy. I love her. Ice cream blonde. Really did make her own rules and it's kind of a badass. Tragically dead. And uh, Mm -hmm. probably a murder victim. Yeah, that's too bad. Her estate does go to her mom. Her mom actually has made plans to buy a lot of property before her death. Like, her mom is kind of looked at with a little bit of, sus- like, everybody is a suspect yeah. and nobody's ever really going to know. Because the coroner fucked it or it was covered by the studio or covered by the mom. Well, and we've just, I think in the George Reeves story, we talked about how dirty LAPD and, like, yeah. uh, like And this is 20 years before George Reeves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when Lucky Luciano roamed the earth, like, I think we can surmise that there yep, may have... Lucky, Lucky takes off. Yeah, but I mean... The next day, never to return to Yeah, Hollywood. I think we can surmise there may have been some, some tampering on some degree by authorities of some sort. 
It's a mystery. God, that had everything. Ghost ships. Mysterious deaths. Honest Abe. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that spider webs. That came earlier than I thought. It was just done before the rest of the stuff. So Spider butts. Spider butts. Everybody doesn't love a spider butt. Mostly Alicia. Not just that spider butts in full embrace. So it's good. People it's kind of like it. the Scottish play. People love I feel like it. I have to go outside and turn around three times and run into a web. Do a little dance. Make a little trash. Fly over the ocean. Get down tonight. All right. Thousand miles out to sea. Nope. On your spider butt. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. You're the best. Bye. We'll talk to you next time. Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island, from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today, Beautiful Anonymous. Welcome to the first episode of our new Trashy Divorces Season 4 series, Side Piece. We're very happy that you're here with us on the Patreon. Never, ever, ever, ever be your side piece. For all of our sly, uh, divorce-adjacent content. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about side pieces. You have a presidential side piece I to do. I do. lambast us with. I do. Our 29th president. Oh, who's that? Uh... Also one of our randiest presidents, ooh, ooh. the appropriately named Warren G. Harding. <laughs> ha ha. Do you remember on How I Met Your Mother when Marshall ranked the presidents by like the dirtiest presidents sure. by their last Johnson. names? Johnson, Polk, Harding. <laughs> Forgot about Polk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I can't wait. Go, go, go. All right. Warren G. Harding. The 29th president, he served from 1921 until his death in 1923. And while he was extremely popular during his term, after his death, people realized that there had been quite a bit of self-dealing happening. Didn't he like make the depression and cause a lot of bullshit? No, it was like a decade the- before that. But Teapot Dome was... Okay. Again, he died really soon into his term. Or I guess mid- he died halfway into his term. Um, Tell me, what year was he elected? I'm sorry. 1921. He he assumed office in 21. Okay. 
So the election of, so 100 years ago next year. Okay. Okay. So yeah, very charming. He was a, he was a popular person. And so he was a popular president in his day. But just as soon as he died and Calvin, Calvin Coolidge took over, it was like, oh, right. Lots of, lots of grift, lots of grift. And then there was also the little matter of at least one out of wedlock pregnancy. Oh, and honestly, his philandering was not even particularly a secret. So again, different times. But during his presidency, he told reporters, quote, it's a good thing I'm not a woman. I would always be pregnant. I can't say no. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was rumored that he had an affair with his uh, with a Senate staffer when oh. he was in the Senate. Like he he had a lot going on there. Hail to the chief. Uh, so, yeah, he reportedly had a number of mistresses during his life. We'll talk about a few. Okay. Also, just foreshadowing, Warren G. Harding was a prolific letter writer. Oh. This, this will factor in later. Fantastic. All right. So let's talk a bit about Warren G. and his wife, Flossie. Flossie. Florence. Flossie to her friends. Flossie Harden. Yep. Warren G. was born in Blooming Grove, Ohio on November 22nd, 1865. He's a Sag. He's a Sag, yeah. And was the oldest of six. Oh. Fascinatingly, both of his parents were doctors. Really? Yep. His mother had earned her medical license through experience as a midwife and by assisting Warren's dad, George, who was a doctor. Wow. That's to, pretty ambitious, Mom. Gone to whatever passed for doctor in school back in 1840 or whatever. Fantastic. Okay. The family did not lack in brains, and after presumably excelling in his one-room schoolhouse, he enrolled in Ohio Central College when he was just 14. Okay, so he's like Doogie Hauser. A little bit, and it, again, okay. different times, I think, if you were gifted. If you're smart enough to do the work, they just, yeah, go where, you, go where you fit in. What? You can write? Of course you can come to our college. <laughs> I should note that a lot of uh, the research for this was done by our friend Blossom. Thanks, Blossom. Yes, she did the heavy lifting on this, and I'm very grateful because, gosh, I have a lot of things I have to write every week. Okay, so Warren G. Harding goes to college, Ohio Central College, starting when he is 14. He worked on the student newspaper there, and he developed a reputation as a gifted public speaker. Yeah. After a short period of aimlessness after graduating... I, he did various he had things. He to go find himself. He taught school. He blah, blah. He whatevered. He uh, and some friends were able to put together $300 with which they bought themselves a newspaper. Like oh, wow. Do. Sure. For the equivalent's like $8,000 in today money. So this was really a struggling small town newspaper. Also, he was 19 years old. So the, the for the bargain price. It was a bargain price. I think so. Yeah. Marion, Ohio. So he became the editor of the Marion Star. Uh, he was a Republican in a Democratic town. So he was really careful in like editorial messaging and he billed the paper as nonpartisan and it was it became a success. He was apparently a very canny businessman, but he was also a young, handsome, affable man in like a rapidly growing town. The population of Marion tripled between 1880 and 1900. Oh wow! Can I ask a quick question? Yes. Is this when the Republicans were Democrats? Um. Yes. Okay, and the Democrats were Republicans. Yeah, I mean, with all the racism, yeah. Okay. Like uh, policy-wise, I still think it was like they were like Republicans were really businessy 
even in his day. Sure. I'm not sure what other than racist Democrats were back then. But yeah, to be clear, yeah, the Democrats were the the Klan party in 1880. This is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, but this is before the shit that happens oh, yeah, that in shift, the mid 50s. Yeah, that, that shit didn't happen okay. for a while. Okay. okay. So, okay. Also, it was during this time that Harding met his future wife and really an inveterate badass named Florence Mabel Kling DeWolf. Oh, Lots of names there. Flossie. Flossie. She was five years older than Warren. She was a Leo. Oh, yay. We love her. Mm-hmm. She's awesome. I'm sad that she gets screwed in this story because I root for all Leos all the time. She does and and also not. Like, she, yeah, her she marries a dirtbag. Like, I don't know. How much more you can say. Yeah. I mean. All right. Presidential dirtbags, number one. I'm about to explain all the ways. Well, some of the ways. <laughs> there were probably other ways that he was a dirtbag. Some of the big ones in terms of their marriage I'm going to talk about. So she was the daughter of a prominent banker in Marion. And dad had started taking her to work when she was little. So by the time she was a teenager, like she could run a business. She knew how to do the books and how to order okay. and how to like all of it. She knew how to work with customers and how to chase down late payments and the whole nine. So as a young woman, uh, this is this is terrific. As a young woman, she left Marion and went to Cincinnati where she dreamed of becoming a concert pianist. Oh, wow. So she goes there and falls in with uh, this musician guy named Henry DeWolf, who she may be married. We're not sure. Oh. But she did have a baby with. Oh, good. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> so she heads back to Marion with little baby Marshall in tow. True story. Oh, baby Marshall? But no Henry. Oh. <laughs> Henry DeWolf is... Back out of there sensey pounding keys somewhere else yeah so <laughs> pounding something so her father was not pleased but he did agree that he would raise marshall in exchange for cutting her off financially oh so she gave piano lessons to earn a living well her dad sounds like a dick too mm, i mean he did take an infant off of her hands and i guess made her more marriageable anyway so as she's teaching piano for a living, she starts teaching Warren's sister, which is probably how they met. There was one slight problem. Warren's newspaper had long made sport of attacking Flossie's dad because he was a prominent businessman in town. Not sure what the beef was there. When they started dating Warren and Flossie, dad apparently stopped Warren on the street and threatened to kill him if he married his daughter. <gasps> Later, Dad took to spreading rumors that Warren Harding's heritage was African-American and organized a boycott of his businesses on that ground. Oh, my God. Warren threatened to, quote, beat the tar out of the little man if he didn't cease. Maybe you could have just left your daughter her inheritance and she wouldn't have had her eye turned by newspaper man. Yeah. So at some point, they must have made their peace because the Hardings were married on July 8th, 1891. Okay. This union, while clearly not strictly monogamous, ended up being a big deal in the professional life of Warren Harding. So early in the marriage, he had some kind of nervous ailment. Uh, later in his life, he had extremely high blood pressure and developed heart disease as a result. Huh. So maybe maybe related to that, uh, it's not really clear, but he went to the uh, Kellogg Sanitarium in Battle Creek, Michigan. No way. Where all of the fancy people of the time Right. To be rejuvenated and eat cornflakes. Yeah. 
yeah, eat vegan and uh, not masturbate was, I and think. And not the, drink. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's the worst vacation ever. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The bar there sucks. Okay. So <laughs> he's up in Michigan and he's got a business manager at the paper, but the manager quits while he's gone. Well, that's okay. Cause Flossie's there. She knows how to do shit. She knows how to do shit. Yeah. And it turns out she's super good at it. She built the paper circulation department and she mapped out service routes. So the Postal Service in 1896 had implemented the RFD, uh, the Rural Finder Designator. Find your dress, your address, whatever, the RFD Postal Service. So she grabs that and maps out all the farms oh. in the area, all the like people living kind of out of town but still wanting the news. She subscribed the paper to a newswire service, and so suddenly Marion, Ohio, had news of the world within 24 hours of it happening. Oh, wow. She renegotiated contracts to get better rates on printing equipment. She dropped delinquent customers after three weeks. She fielded complaints. (laughs) She made all of the purchasing decisions, repaired the machinery herself when she could to save on costs, and she kept all the books. Oh, So you can just stay in that sanatorium, dude. I got it. I got it. I got it handled. Yeah, she didn't write or edit stories, but she would assign reporters to cover certain events. She would provide leads and sources, and she was always like on the lookout for human interest pieces to put into the paper. And she hired the first woman reporter in the state, Jane Dixon. No way. Yep. And most importantly... you're a badass. Yeah. And most importantly, she was so just like competent, just like through and through competent that like none of the men who were working for her ever thought to object about it. (laughs) Like badass, total badass. Okay. Notably during Warren's newspaper man years, there was a Marionite teenager, sorry, a resident of Marion, not part of the, there's a Catholic cult, not that there was a resident of Marion who was a teenager who used to find reasons to walk past the newspaper and the Harding house in hopes of bumping into the object of her affection. Warren. Little little crush girl. When he got into politics, she papered her bedroom walls with campaign posters. No, no. And newspaper images of Warren. This crush would become very important later on and would produce Warren G. Harding's only known child. Don't marry the poster on your wall. She literally... Don't go out. The poster on your wall just should stay on the wall. She never married him. But it's a fascinating story. Her, anyway, okay. Her name was Nan Britton, and we'll get to her. Flossie clearly was a woman of many and versatile talents. And when Warren turned his eyes to politics, she put her skills to work on his campaigns with the results that you would expect, given how the paper flourished in her care. In 1899, Warren was elected to Ohio State Senate and served two terms. I think at the time, the terms may have been three years. I was thinking six because that's, but he was kind of like back in town by 1906 or something. Okay, good for him. So around this time, a new couple moves to Marion. This is uh... Carrie Fulton Phillips and her husband, James. And they were part owners of like a department store or a big grocery or something. Okay. Um, so, you know, they're kind of, they're well off. It's it's a big deal. Carrie is super charming. She's beautiful. She immediately, like all of the ladies love her. And so she and Flossie are like really tight. And so the, you know, they're both like rich couples in town. Their ages aren't that far off. And so they start like taking vacations together and 
like doing couple things. And it's going to go great. It's not going to go great. <laughs> <laughs> so a few years later, uh, the Phillips's two-year-old son died. And in Carrie's grief, she turned to Warren for support. By 1905, they were in a hot and heavy affair that would, on and off again, last for the next 15 years. What? Mm-hmm. <sighs> like, at some point, it was exposed. But I mean, like, I think five or six years in, Flossie realized... What was happening? Yeah. And like, again, they're going to Europe. They're like, they're doing all this shit together. And he and Carrie are like sneaking off to have what the letters suggest was pretty <laughs> intensely erotic sex. Okay. So the couples would travel together, like all, so both couples would go to Europe and then Warren... On a boat at that time. And so. Carrie would just escape off to the catacombs Find one day. Time, and, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So um, when it was exposed, Flossie was devastated, but um, it is said that at the time, one of her complaints was that this was not the first affair he'd had with one of her friends. Yeah. Kind don't of, fuck my friends. Kind of a shit bag. Like if so, you want to be an adulterer, that's one thing, but don't do it with my friends. Yeah. So the Phillips, um, like both couple, you know, people didn't really divorce that assertively back then. So rather than the d- divorce, the couples decide that what needs to happen is that they need some, they need space. And so the Phillips moved to Germany. Okay. That's Ber- a lot Berlin. of space. A lot of space. A lot of space. So, and they, they, both couples did remain married to each other uh, for the rest of their lives, as far as I can tell. The affair was not over. It's worth noting. Just, just on hold. So much yikes. Okay. In 1914, I guess Carrie was just back from Germany. Like she came back ahead of World War One, which I think started in Europe in fourteen. Yeah, we were only in it for like a year uh, in seven. I was because I was yeah. as I was writing this, I was like nineteen seventeen, but that's when the U.S. got Correct. in. Correct. Okay, so in nineteen fourteen, like Carrie had just gotten back from Germany to avoid World War One. Warren decides it's time to run for the U.S. Senate. Perfect. Yeah, it was kind of an ugly race. His opponent was a Catholic and not him personally, but his supporters went all out in the, he wants to deliver Ohio to the Pope kind of shit. And I guess Warren didn't really take any kind of stand against his supporters. It was just kind of gross, you know, politics. Did he win? Warren won. Yeah. Warren G. G. Harding won. Okay. Not a Catholic, I guess. Okay. Anyway. All I'm saying is politics has never been beanbagged. Okay. Uh, and this is uh, around this time is also when he first made the acquaintance of Nan Britton, the girl who used I to- I used to have posters mm-hmm, of you on my wall. Walk by his newspaper, walk by his house. Oh. She- At least now she's legal, probably. Still, no. in, hi- still in high school. Jesus Christ. She's 31 years his junior. <laughs> oh my God. And during the campaign- uh, Okay, so to be clear, they apparently were not sleeping together during the campaign, but he would like call her into his office and sit her on his lap, and he's a disgusting man. It's not creepy at all. After high school, she moved to New York and wrote to her old friend and her home state senator asking for a job recommendation so she could find work in the big city. And so he sent her one, and then he dropped in to visit (laughs) 
Nan lost her virginity to Warren G. Harding in a New York hotel room when she was 20 and he was in his 50s. Oh, my God. And this affair would last into his presidency where he would become the first president that we know of to have sex in the coat closet of the Oval Office. Uh Uh-huh. Bill Clinton was no pioneer. Oh, my God. In 1919, Nan would give birth to the only known child of Warren G. Harding, Elizabeth Ann Christian. Warren was not interested in being a dad, but he did provide for her financially during his life. Unfortunately, his life was not that long after this point. Oh. So while all this stuff with Nan Britton is going on, and keeping in mind he's still married to Flossie, so Carrie is still in his life, and they've been writing... She had left Germany. So, wait, so he has a wife, mm-hmm. a teenage side piece, mm-hmm. and an international side piece. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> some of Warren's racy letters to Carrie were written on his Senate stationery. Oh, God. He wrote a lot. I've got excerpts coming up in a moment. Okay, so she had left Germany to return to the States. Again, World War One. The United States declared war on Germany. She was a big booster of Germany. She loved Germany. So, oh, okay. So he gets the Republican nomination for the presidency in the 1920 campaign. Okay. And Kerry turns on him and is like, you need to pay up, bud, because I've got all these letters and they are, some of them, they are over the top. Okay. And they're on your state Senate. Anthony Weiner was no pioneer either, was he? Right. God, it's all been done before. It's all been done before, mostly by Warren G. Harding. <laughs> okay, these letters would have ended him not merely because they proved an affair. No, 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 no. Warren Harding was a wacky poet of eroticism, and his letters to Carrie, which were only made public in 2014, are off the wall. Oh my God, tell me, tell me, so, tell me. The first thing to know is that he called his penis Jerry <gasps> consistently. With a J or a G? With a J. Okay, just... Uh, I'm not making it's it important. Up. Here's a bit from a 1913 oh, God. message. No. He really... This... It's, it's poetry. <laughs> and you came, a vision vividly plain, a goddess in human form and a perfect form, clad only in flowing hair, and you were joyously received and Jerry came and insisted on staying while we all retrospected in the happiness of a Sunday in Richmond. That's uh, from 1913. Here's one from 1912. Oh, God. I love your poise of perfect thighs when they hold me in paradise. (laughs) It goes on much longer, but I didn't copy and paste that. So he's writing about wearing a robe that Carrie had worn during a previous dalliance. I like to dream and lose... So he's a cross-dresser too? Sweet. I think it's his robe. Oh. I could be wrong. I don't know. This one I was just going to talk about because clearly he's masturbating while he's writing the letter. Oh, God. I like to dream in loose flowing garb because I can dream more intently. And I did, to alarming release. I called your name aloud thrice, begging you to come, and a voice from upstairs responded, wanting to know what I wanted. I was alarmed and sobered. She's talking about God? A neighbor? I don't know. Anyway. Oh. Carrie ain't here. Go back to bed. Right. 
Oh my God. Oh, Carrie mine, you can see I have yielded and written myself into wild desire. I could beg. And Jerry came and will not go. Says he loves you. That you are the only, only love worthwhile in all this world. And I must tell you so. And a score or more of other fond things he suggests. But I spare you. You must not be annoyed. He is so utterly devoted that he only exists to give you all. I fear you would find a fierce enthusiast today. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway. Jerry has quite an active little life. Jerry, uh, Jerry's busy. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Yeah. No, he's really, like, he's just upfront People about... People are so stupid he's... when they're cheating, man. But, yeah, no, he's so upfront about his erection here in a 1915 letter. Jerry, you recall Jerry, whose cards I once sent you to Europe, came in while I was pondering your notes in glad reflection, and we talked about it. He was strongly interested and elated and clung to discussion. I mean, it just... <laughs> Uh, and if he could have but one wish, it would be to be held in your darling embrace and be thrilled by your pink lips that convey the surpassing rapture of human touch and the unspeakable joy of love's surpassing embrace. I cordially agree with all he said. So dude has chats with his dick. Oh my. I think that actually men do this. Uh, men have names for their peni. Sure. And they take on... Character, pers- it's weird. Yeah, no, I remember uh, seeing an interview with Adam Duritz years ago where he was like, the weirdest part about Mr. Jones is the people who stop me at the airport and go like, it's about your dick, right? Oh, God. <laughs> My lady parts don't have a name. Yeah, mine either. I feel like are we missing out on life. I don't know. Let's bench, table that. <laughs> table that. All right. So, yeah, so all of these, like, like uber, over-the-top erotic letters exist. And so, yeah, they're, like, the fact that Carrie had become a German stan and <laughs> oh. Germany stan. Now, she's still married to her husband? Okay, mm-hmm. perfect, perfect, mm-hmm. great, yep. great. Yep, yep. So, during the war period, their letters get less sexy and more, like, Warren is saying, like, no, you can talk to me about what you think about the war i don't have to think you're right you know but if things go the way you want them to then you can feel really satisfied that you you knew it ahead you know like he's anyway a lot of tension they're jerry jerry takes a back seat on the bus yeah (laughs) for political issues yeah well but but nan britain is like oh perfectly (laughs) there to help Jerry is Jerry is busy. Jerry's got some appointments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. So the internal conflict soured the relationship, and so when the shakedown came, like 1920, again he's been nominated to be the Republican candidate for president. He has to go to party leaders and explain, like, okay, here's the deal. I've been having this affair with this woman. My penis's name is Jerry. My penis is named Jerry. This woman has a hundred plus letters <laughs> oh my God. from me. Some on my Senate stationery. Talking all about Jerry and all the things he likes to get up to with her. (laughs) Okay. So from the RNC's perspective, they've got this like philandering nominee. They have a woman who's extorting him for money 
and a 20 year old teenager and, with an illegitimate baby i don't think he told him about her oh god and she was a german she was a sympathizer of germany which america had defeated in november of 1918 <laughs> like it was all bad it this was could all bad. compromise you know this is back in the day when that would compromise a presidency yeah uh, yeah how far we've come well actually but here's what they did the rnc the republican national committee Gives her between twenty and twenty-five thousand dollars. What? This is two hundred and ninety-seven thousand dollars in today money. <gasps> do they get the letters? No. No, they did not. They just pay her to trust that she'll not. Well, so them. They the RNC also paid for Carrie and her husband to take an extended tour of Asia in nineteen twenty. <gasps> oh my God! So they'd be far away from reporters who might be reporting on the u.s presidential campaign and here's a all paid international trip for you and your husband enjoy japan take lots of pictures see you next year but weirder still oh it gets weirder yeah so you know they've had this long affair there's this extortion scheme but they remain friends she ends up invited to the inauguration they socialize together in dc when he's president, they well, once you're friends with Jerry, they see each other in private sometimes, even like super weird, super weird. Okay, oh, what's up with me in Britain? I'm sure he tried not to have them in the same room at the same time. Oh my he's God. it's at some point he started introducing Nan Britain as his niece, which is gross. <gasps> oh, that's creepy. Okay, yeah, so he and Carrie stayed friends until he died in 1923. You know, again, luckily through this dry spell, there was Nan. And uh, as president, he had some help conducting the affair in the Oval Office. When he and Nan were headed to the coat closet to fuck, he had a Secret Service guy stand outside and he would knock on the door if he saw Flossie coming. How awkward. How awkward. Flossie coming. I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So after... Warren G. Harding's death, there was no more support for baby Elizabeth. Flossie did not approve of ongoing child support payments. I, I, yeah. So in 1927, Nan Britton published the first kiss and tell book. What is considered really? the first kiss and tell book called The President's Daughter. So yeah, good for you, Nan Britton. This did not win her many friends, though. Like, I think it did sell well. Like, it, Seems like it was kind of a big deal in the moment. It was certainly like gossip columnist um, catnip. Trash candy. Yeah. So she spent the rest of her life being really low profile. She uh, refused to do interviews about Harding, although she was apparently like her grandson say that she was in love with Harding until the day she died, which was in 1991. But subsequent DNA analysis in 2015 did confirm that uh, Elizabeth's sons. I'm not sure if Elizabeth is still alive either, but yeah, but like Harding's grandsons are Harding's, Harding's grandsons. grandsons. Wow. So Florence, in spite of her husband's total shitbaggery, has been praised as the first modern first lady. Really? Uh, yeah, like paving the way for Eleanor Roosevelt. Okay. So the 19th Amendment became law in 1920. 
as Harding was heading to the White House, basically. The 19th Amendment struck down that restrictive rule. Sure did. So she championed initiatives to educate and involve women in the government. She frequently hosted women's groups in the White House. Oh, wow. She really was a little predecessor. Yeah, leading yeah. Leading the way. Including African-American women's groups. She did not exclude divorced women from events, which Fan- makes sense since she was probably divorced. Maybe if she married Flossie is awesome. Yeah. She pointedly refused to condemn the movement for birth control when a reporter asked her about it. I'm not sure what birth control meant in 1920. but uh, Birth control meant a lot. Uh, we're going to talk about oh. Margaret Singer Sanger. There you go. There you and go. the, the yep, got it. It's, it is coming, believe it or not, in an associated side piece. Okay. She was a prison reformer who backed what would ultimately become the Alderson Reformatory Prison, which was the first federal prison for women inmates. Oh, wow. And presumably was a little more humane than other institutions might be. She also had her own psychic. I love it. Who she went to ahead of, you know, Harding considering running for president. And the psychic told her that... Warren G. Harding would be nominated and he would win the presidency and it would cost him his life. And you say that shit's not real. (laughs) No, it's actually a good episode maybe because uh, Jacqueline Kennedy used a psychic. Nancy Reagan used a psychic. Exactly. That's that's Uh, another. Mrs. Lincoln used a psychic. We may do that for Halloween. That actually might be fun to talk about like presidential psychics. It'd be fun. Or post it note that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's fun. All right, so Warren Harding did not live to see the Teapot Dome scandal, but the events of the Teapot Dome scandal happened under him, which was some sort of like shady land grants to appointees or something. It was whatever. It was pretty straightforward corruption. Heavily tested on my AP test, I remember. Right, right. I opted not to write about Teapot Dome. So, like, again, he when he was president, he was very popular with the people. In no time after leaving the presidency, like, first Teapot Dome, like, all of these corruption scandals from his administration sure. pop up. And then Nan Britton publishes this book that really was, I mean, it, it quotes him. And, I mean, it really paints him as just this guy who's just into, like, cheap sex with random people. Is Jerry put in the tell-all book? I remember. <sighs> I don't know. I wonder, I wonder if we can if, find a copy. I wonder if she names him. Okay, that's our new hunt. Yeah. All right, so Politico puts Harding's role in history this way. Although I do have some good news for him about his historical ranking going forward. So Jordan Michael Smith at Politico wrote, Historians have long disliked Harding for reasons other than his sexcapades. He presided over an administration unprecedented in its corruption. He rolled back pro- progressive era reforms. And he enacted racist immigration laws. In the rankings academics conduct every few years, Harding has averaged out as the worst president in American history. Wow. After his death, wrote a biographer, his reputation plummeted so quickly that only with the greatest reluctance could a Republican successor be persuaded to dedicate his tomb. I think Harding is going to end up up a spot after this administration is done. That's what, yeah, that's, the, that's my good news for oh, him. Oh, good news! Woo! You're, You're no longer the worst! worst. You're not the worst. Second worst. Congrats. Speaking of rankings, Mm -hmm. I just pulled this up. Would you like to hear Marshall Erickson from How I Met Your Mother's ranking of presidents by how dirty their names sound? Yes. Yes, I would. Okay. It's been a minute since I've looked at this. Number 10, Clinton. Number nine, Bush. Number eight, Hoover. 
Number seven, LBJ. <laughs> Number six, Pierce. Number five, Fillmore. Number four, Polk. Number three, Harding. Number two, Bush. Number one, Johnson. Yeah. I love Marshall Erickson. Yeah. 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 Those are all pretty much true. That is. Yeah. And what's funny, like, I don't know. JFK is a great philanderer. I've got some stuff coming up on some of his side pieces this season and next. But press kept it undercover like it wasn't talked about. But men have been doing terrible shit since the beginning of time to their wives. Yeah. It's nothing new. No. I don't know why we act so shocked and scandalized. No, men do terrible shit to the women who love them. Sure. And, you know, women do as well, but it does it does seem to skew male. Let's call it that. I have, it has never occurred to me to name my vagina. Ever. Not once. Ever. I don't get it. Yeah. That is fascinating. Yeah. And uh, Carrie Phillips went on to live to like 1960 or something. I was going to say, okay, so she mm -hmm. still married, never divorced? As far as I know, she never divorced her husband. Her Wikipedia entry is not fulsome, but... And what happened to Flossie? Flossie died like a year after uh, her husband, unfortunately. Okay, because she was a little older. And what happened to her son? Do we have an update on him? No. Marshall. Marshall. Mm Mm-mm. Okay, that's not important. I can get that. Probably lived out his days in Marion, Ohio. Maybe ran a newspaper. I don't know. Named his penis Tom. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That was amazing. Yeah. That was thanks. a good side piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I, I first, didn't know Warren Harding was so sleazy. Yeah, I first heard about the Jerry thing on the podcast I'm Horrified, which I think is just criminally under-listened to, and I encourage everybody to download that and just listen to any random episode they have a lot of them now awesome yeah that's my that's my side piece story i'm never gonna hear his name again without thinking about his penis name no and the name nan Britton. like what a cool like i'm she just strikes me as some sort of tiny superhero when she was actually sort of not a i don't know not a super She's our trash candy inspiration. A little bit, a little bit. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. That was amazeballs. Cool. Thanks, Stacey. You're welcome. How many trash cans does Warren Harding get? Oh, gosh. A teapot All dome full of, of trash cans? Tea, that's exactly right. A teapot dome full. Yes. Holy shit. <laughs> Hail to the chief. Yeah. All right. Hope you all enjoyed it. Stay out of coat closets. Thanks for supporting us. <laughs> Keep it trashy and always make sure you have a guard to let your spouse know no kidding to let you know when your spouse is coming that poor secret service agent God, can you imagine no what a <laughs> not what he signed up for whistleblower Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> thanks everybody keep it trashy bye bye and thanks to you for listening trashy divorces is a hemlock creatives production created and produced right here in atlanta georgia by us stacy and alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com. 
or find us on the World Wide Web at TrashyDivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at Patreon.com slash TrashyDivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy y'all.